You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Carol Dines on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Takeover Friend, and this is such a such a fun book. Um, this is... A, a great mix of nostalgia and um, a great relationship book and just a fun read from beginning to end. I, I know you're going to love it as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Carol, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? My first, let's see, I think my desire to be a writer goes way back. I kept journals from a very young age, but I lacked the confidence to show my writing to anyone until after college. And then I won a scholarship to one of the first women's writers conferences and dropped out of graduate school and started down the road of writing and uh, ended up going to uh, another graduate program a couple of years later and uh, was well on my way. And since then, I've cobbled together writing and teaching writing uh, as for the last few decades. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, we we all have circuitous routes that that bring us back around to writing the, the a lot of writers uh you know talk about having these this early desire to tell stories and invariably life gets in the way and then uh you know you come back around to writing but then you get the the benefit of looking back and and looking at um you know life experience that you've gained along the way that you didn't know at the time was going to help you as a writer um have you picked up any things along the way that you now uh hold dear in your writer toolkit i think experience informs all my writing and I write mostly about what is what I've come to realize in the last few years is that in different ways, I'm almost always writing about the same subject, which is boundaries and relationships. And I think this comes from growing up in a very close family. Um, I grew up with an older sister who had uh, mental illness. And so the takeover friend. Uh, I think the origins of that really came from growing up in a family where I struggled uh, as the middle child um, in a family that was close and yet we had struggles. I think I've always valued friendships. So all that experience in deep, long lasting friendships informs my books. Um, I've worked, I've worked with kids a lot and teenagers 
So my experience in the world um, has a great deal to do with what I'm writing about. I often begin, I always, I still write in journals every day. And I find myself writing uh, daily about things that happened to me. And so when I begin a new book, often those journal writings find their way into the experiences of my characters, the voices of my characters. So yes, I think experience is huge and the and and definitely informs all of my writing. You know, it it well, first off, um what genre would you consider uh to be your uh your go-to? If when you're starting a brand new book, do you think in terms of genre or is it uh, is it relationships, and then you know you find a story um, to tell that that will fit that, or do you, do you think in those terms? I do. My last book was definitely it was a collection of short stories for adults, and as I wrote those stories over a three year period, um, I knew they were for adults. I the, there was a lot of poet not poetry, but poetic language. Um, there was experiences that uh, I, I intended. I think that the stories were all about our most intimate relationships and the boundary within our most in, intimate relationships. And that moment when we have to contend with our commitment to those relationships or our commitment to ourselves, growing our own lives. and. Ironically, I realized the takeover friend, which from the very beginning was focused for young adults, um, is also about a similar theme, only it's friendship, but it's also boundaries and families. So I do feel like I that when I'm writing for younger people, I'm very aware it has to be a fairly fast-paced book. Um uh, I I think that the Plotting has to move very quickly because I feel to keep an, a younger audience tuned in, there needs to be a lot of dialogue. And I don't consider it action, but my dialogue is often action. And um, with adult work, I think there can be much more internal dialogue, flashbacks. Um, so, yes, I do keep that in mind. <laughs> Apart from the writing style uh, of a a young adult versus, uh, you know, an adult novel, are there themes that lend themselves more to uh, to a young adult audience as opposed to uh, a more traditional adult audience? Or are are there themes or there topics uh, other than just the, you know, the kind of snappy dialogue and the more uh, fast paced uh you know, plotting of the novel are are there are there other things that separate those genres and those readers? That's a great question. I don't think so. I think you can write about anything um, for a YA audience, but I think my goal is to create layers. And I think the takeover friend has several layers. There is Uh, mental illness in the family. And there is um, 
I think there are layers of understanding about relationships, intimacy. Um, I think that when I write, I write for both audiences, knowing that I want all those layers. I want subtext. I want uh, there to be real depth. And but I also know that different readers will maybe not get all of those layers. And that's fine. You you have, uh, but I, for instance, let me just go back. I wrote yeah, about uh, one of my YA books uh, was about a young singer from a very poor family, and it was based on historical research. And she was a young singer in Rome, and she was sold by her mother to the queen to be the palace singer, and. It's a very, very dark book about um, the Catholic world of the 16th century in Rome. And yet it was uh, it, it, it was very well reviewed. And some people said you won't be able to sell this book, but it, <laughs> it was published by Harcourt. And I it actually had a long life in Europe uh, and was translated into several languages. And. There were people who said this will not sell. You can't write about this. But so I think a lot about it is how you write about things for younger people and creating layers. So when they're ready to get it, they will get it. And if they're not ready, they may reread it at a different age and get those deeper layers then. You've um, you published a number of short stories and, and some collections of short stories. Uh, as well as novels, um, do you do you know from the beginning when you have an idea, um, that little inkling of of the first idea? Do you know that this is going to be a short story, or this is going to be, you know, these are characters that have more of a journey to take than a short story? Uh, do Do you know that from the beginning? I have grown to just love the short story form and. What I'm doing right now is writing longer. I, I'm working on a novel, but when I reach a point of being stuck in that novel, I move to a new short story idea. And in that way, it kind of keeps me from getting stuck. Uh, so I always have a couple of short stories I'm working on and usually a longer piece I'm working on as well. Gotcha. Do do you um? I'm I'm fascinated by the um the the very first moment of a story. You know, it, it in one moment in time, the story does not exist in any form or fashion. But then, you know, a, a character walks onto the stage of your mind, or maybe you're uh, reading a, a, a news article, and the what if game starts playing. You know, and then. Uh, in some form, the story does exist, and then it's your job as the writer to kind of dig that story out and 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 polish it up and and make it into what it's going to become. Um, is there a a a general um, first inkling of a story that happens with you? Does does the do you repeat the process over and over, uh, or are they all uh, you know unique and and come from different places? The beginning of a story, I think, is the most important part. And I think it has to put the reader right into an idea of the conflict that's ahead. 
for the transformation of the character that's coming. And um, sometimes I know the beginning and sometimes it comes to me as I'm working on the a story or a novel. Um, and oftentimes I will write my way well into the book and more and more lines come up and more and more uh, ideas. And, and I often will begin the day by reading a poem. And then I use that poem as prompts to um, rewrite around the character I'm writing about. And oftentimes those little jewels that come up will end up being the first line or part of the first page because uh, they're coming more from my unconscious, I think, as uh, but those don't necessarily come as I begin a piece. I'm not a I don't plot. I definitely work from an idea what I want this book to be about. And I begin with scenes and then I begin to shuffle the scenes and weave them into what I think uh, is the transformation of the main characters. So, Carol, you mentioned a minute ago your book, The Queen Soprano. Um, that book is a, a work of historical fiction. Um, could you talk just a little bit about the difference in writing historical fiction versus more uh, fiction with a more modern setting like your new book? Um, are there certain pitfalls that you have to um, navigate when writing historical fiction and how, um, you know, they're, they're, you know the, the thing with historical fiction is that it's based around real events and, and some readers are sticklers for those events. And, um, you know, are, are there special waters that you have to navigate when you're writing historical fiction? Yes, I do think there has to be the research and um, an understanding of the place and the time. We lived in Rome for eight years, and I, at that time, I knew Italian. Um, I've lost a lot of it now, but <laughs> I spoke pretty well at that time and could read Italian. And this story came to me, I wanted to write a young adult novel uh, about a particular moment in Italian history. So. I spent two years researching the novel and uh, went to the various libraries. We had friends there who got me into Italian libraries. And this story came to me. Um, there is a very famous queen, Queen Christina, who was uh, born to be queen of Sweden and abdicated the throne at a very young age and snuck to Rome and became Catholic. And it was a huge worldwide sort of scandal that she she was supposed to be the Protestant queen and she ended up being the Catholic uh, queen. And, um, of course, the Pope welcomed her as a sign of, um, of a way to celebrate Catholicism. But she then fell out with the popes because she... So anyway, long story short, I became enamored with this story. And in her diaries, which Minnesota, because we have a lot of Swedes here, has a huge um, Swedish library, um, found the diary of the Frenchman who was her journalist, Queen Christina's journalist. And he wrote about this young woman who was her favorite soprano and how 
Queen Christina had paid quite a sum to the family. And I won't go into it in any more detail, but I just fell in love with this story. I, I wanted to write about the class differences in Italy at that time. Children could be sold. And, um, and I wanted to write a lot about some of the hypocrisy in the church. You know, women were banned from performing and Queen Christina broke those laws and allowed women to perform in her palace. So there were themes I just loved in that story. And I decided to write it for young adults because I thought this is about a 15-year-old. And um, I thought it was a perfect mix. So <laughs> that's so yes, I uh, historical fiction takes a lot of research. I did a second book and it didn't work. Uh, it was on Margaret Fuller, the first American feminist. And she uh, lived in Rome and covered the revolution of 1848 for the New York Times, fell in love with a marquee, et cetera. And so she had a great story. But some advice I got from one of my um, mentors was write this book right through your writer's block, which for me was a was terrible advice because I ended up getting very blocked on how to do this historical novel. And I wrote so many versions that I lost the voice. I lost the energy in the book. Um, and it's still in my, my closet, about 20 different versions. I hope to come back to it at some point, but um, that was my experience. I couldn't find the right voice to, to represent her at that moment in history. That, that advice that you said, you know, because uh, I, I, I hear that that advice all the time. You know, if you're um, if, if you're stuck, if you're blocked, just write through it and you'll eventually come out the other side. Your subconscious will take over, or, you know, whatever happens. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and some people will say, well, I don't believe in writer's block because plumbers don't get plumber's block. And, you know, that how professional would it be for a plumber to just not show up one day and say, well, I can't do the job because I'm blocked, you know, and, and they uh, equate, you know, one thing with the other. Um, if that was such bad advice, in your opinion, what what would you wish you would have done or what do, do you do you see another way through that that blocked period that that you might have taken? Yes. And I, let me just clarify. I don't think it's bad advice for everyone. I think for me, it was bad advice because one of my challenges is I see so many possibilities for every book. And the, one of the hardest personal challenges for me is to commit to going deep in one way in a book. So at the beginning, you're making all these choices, the voice, the perspective, the time frame? Is it past the present? Um, are you skipping around in time? And all of those choices come up. And for me, I, when I hit a block where I'm not sure I've made the right choices, to write it in multiple ways, which is what this, this friend of mine told me, um, was paralyzing for me. And I did do it. And I did so many versions that I just couldn't feel the right one. And I couldn't feel the right way forward. Somebody else, that might be great advice. It, for me, it wasn't about not writing. I was writing. But it was just expanding the possibilities 
which actually was very paralyzing for me. And my advice would be for me, people like me who um, have a tendency to see too many ways of doing something, I would say move to another project, take some space, do a lot of long walks, and take the pressure off and let it kind of rise up through your unconscious or subconscious before you go back to it. Because what I've learned since then is that if I do that, if I move on to a short story or uh, an article or something that has nothing to do with the book and begin working on it, all of a sudden I see what I need to do in the, in the book, in the book that I'm stuck on. So that's just the advice I give myself. (laughs) Yeah. You um, mentioned earlier that you're not a plotter. Um, do you, when when you have a, a moment where you're stuck like that, um, does it help to to kind of sketch out where you see yourself in the story and what might be coming next, or um, kind of how do you handle? Um, you know, a lot of people that say that they're not plotters uh, will hold. Uh, you know, kind of these ideas in their head, and it, it becomes a sort of a roadmap. You, you know, generally where you're going, especially if you're writing historical fiction, you, you kind of know at least some of the the road markers along the way of where the story needs to go, some events that need to happen. Is it just a matter of finding a way to, to get to those events? Yes, I I think I always know have a glimpse of what I'm writing about before I begin. Um, for instance, with The Takeover Friend, I years ago went through a very hard breakup with, my fr- with one of my closest friends. And it was a traumatic experience for me. And at the same time, my daughter was going through a very similar experience. And I began talking to people and I realized so many people go through this experience of really getting a mesh in a friendship, it's so close and so entangled, it's hard to shift it in different in another direction, give it more space. And so I knew going in, I wanted to write that and I wanted to write it for young adults because I think it happens more often. I think it happens with adult friendships too. And I actually have had two adult friends read this book and say, oh my God, this is what I went through too. But I think it happens even more often for young adults who don't want boundaries in their friendship. They want to cross boundaries. They're excited to cross boundaries in friendships. And um, they often don't even know about boundaries until they're crossed. And so I thought that was a great age to sort of gear this book towards. Your your new book, The Takeover Friend, what was that that first um, inkling of an idea for this book? Where, where, where did this, uh, where was this book born? Well, it was born back in the, in the breakup of my friendship, because I think I always thought afterwards, you know, why did it happen and how did it happen? And I don't think we talk enough about why friends, some friendships and some of our closest friendships and we talk about why romantic relationships end all the time. And it seems we have sort of a cultural understanding that 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 does happen and it's normal. You outgrow each other. But with a very, very close friend, we don't have that kind of roadmap for 
what, how it happens, why it happens, and what it means in our culture. And so that was the inkling of the idea. Um, as I said, I've taught a lot in, um, I've taught writing to teenagers in high schools, and I saw a lot of drama around friendship and endings of friendship, but also just tumultuous uh, changes in friendship. So I knew this was fertile ground for a book, and I was excited to get into it. Then the characters came. Sonia came almost immediately to me. Um, and I, I, she's a very powerful, brilliant, um, energized young woman who is also extremely lonely and comes from a family that offers her almost no support. And I've known teens like that. So I wanted to represent her, that kind of experience. She's, she's almost too old for high school, you know, in her own mind. And she's outgrown a lot of high school culture before she even gets there. Um, and I also wanted someone like Fran. Fran is very much like I was in high school. She's very sensitive. You know, she wants to have a deep friendship. Um, but her, her um, habit is to put other people's feelings ahead of her own. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. And um, Sonia's so powerful that Fran begins to feel she loses herself in the friendship. In, in the beginning, Fran um, experiences um, the loss of a friendship. Um, and, and at that time, you know, when, when my kids were younger and, and they were going through this, this time in school, it, it, it seems like emotions are so heightened um, and everything seems so um, immediate and, and that it will be everlasting. And, 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 you know, and, and then Fran experiences, you know, when, when Sonia comes in, she's there, there's a bit of healing that, that goes on there. And uh, it, it's got to be so interesting writing these characters that are kind of at the height of, of emotions at this point in their life. And so ripe for transformation. <laughs> yes, right. both. They're open. They want new experiences. They're, you know, it's the first day in high school when they meet. They're at a big high school with all kinds of students and um and, you know, one of the reasons I chose a large urban high school is because one of the themes is they want to be visible and they're not, they don't want to join, well, Sonia especially doesn't want to join the typical clubs. She feels a little bit, mar they, they both are kind of on the margins. They feel creative and they want to show their creativity. They love poetry. They love music. And then they get this idea for homecoming to build a poetry mobile and to have their English homeroom students all write their favorite poems. And I think that idea that young people, I think most teenagers are, are lonely. They're growing so fast and they're in new environments. It takes time to uh, find your people. It takes time to find your own grounding and begin to know who you are. And I think that um, they felt safe with each other. And I think that when young people meet a friend like that, 
it is huge in their lives. So, um, yeah, so all of that went into this story and they, they created together. They felt more powerful and brave in this new school environment. The, the book mobile, the, the poetry mobile is is one of the most fun uh, book conventions that I've seen in a while. Where did that idea come from? Well, a friend of mine who is a musician has an old band bus in her backyard and the young people always hung out in it. So probably that was the original idea for it. She and her husband were are both musicians. Um, but I also think, I, I, I don't know, I suppose it, was, it would be something I would love to do. Um, and I, it just came to my mind. That's so fun. Um, when, when people read this book, when, when they get to the end of it and, and they close that back cover and um, they've gone through this whole experience you've led them on, what do you hope people are left with? I would love for readers to know that um, it's okay if you are in a close friendship and you feel like it's no longer uplifting you, but it is becoming an obligation or a duty to try to reset the friendship. But if you can't do that, it's okay to end it and let go. And I think so often these kinds of friendships where there's a sort of a, a, a power struggle and um, one person gets swept up into the other young person's needs. I mean, in my book, Sonia ended up being the needier of the two and Fran really ended up being overwhelmed by Sonia's crises and needs. I think that happens often in teen friendship where one friend is needier and can overwhelm the friendship. So the takeaway in, and this is for adults too, this can happen for adults as well, is that, you know, if you, if disappointment and struggle becomes the habit in the friendship, it's okay to try to, you know, communicate around it. But if that doesn't work, it is sometimes a healthy response to let go and end the friendship. The Takeover Friend is available everywhere now in Kindle edition or paperback. However you like to read books, you can grab it. We're going to have links in the show notes where you can uh, grab it in either format that you uh, like to read in. Carol, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they connect with you online? Well, I, my website is a great opportunity, www.caroldines.com. I'm on Facebook, Carol Dines Author, Instagram, and um, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Excellent. We'll put links uh, to those places in the show notes to make it easier for folks to find you. Uh, the Takeover Friend, go grab it today. You won't be disappointed. Carol, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It was wonderful.